of Star Trek Picard Season 2 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello everybody, Mike Bloom coming to you a couple of years before the setting of Star Trek Picard Season 2, which is surprising to say. Never thought I'd say that with the Star Trek franchise, but here we are talking about a trip to the past slash our future when it comes to Star Trek Picard Season 2, but there is a lot to discuss when it comes to the present and especially the future of Star Trek Picard, given some recent news. But of course, I'm not alone in this venture. I am joined by my co-captain on this expedition, someone who I think we could call the Watcher, considering how much content she has taken in and written and podcasted about for decades at this point. Jessica Lees, Jess, how are you? Doing great, Mike. And I'm so glad that we've decided to sit down and talk about all of the stuff that's happening on Picard rather than you just like shooting out a tentacle and sticking it into my brain. Yeah, I mean, listen, 2024, maybe that's just the way to be a USB, but it feels a little less invasive. I mean, talk about living rent-free in somebody's head. I know that we're going into a currency-less society, but it seems like that's the way to do back in those days. Right, and there's a whole lot of less um, unconscious uh, talking about numbers. Yeah, exactly. The number, I mean, listen, 15 was very popular in that one episode, and so the lost part of my brain couldn't help but tingle but maybe that's just the Borg Queen. Jess, we are here to talk about uh, the past specific four episodes of Star Trek Picard. Of course, we came together talking about the premiere episode where things felt incredibly different for various reasons compared to where we are now. We've officially hit the halfway point. We are in a different era. We have a different mission. We are dealing with similar people in very different circumstances, playing very different characters. And of course, there is some Picard news that is very recently dropping that we will, of course, get into as well. But all that aside, just to start off in general, Jess, obviously we came out of episode one with some gilded expectations as to how we thought the season would go. What have your thoughts been about the past month's worth of episodes? Um. Well, Mike, I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been quite the ride. Uh, it's nice to have some appointment television again. I feel like every Thursday morning, it's like, I got to get on this. I got to see the next episode. I want to know what happens next. It's a, a really fun time. That's really what it boils down to for me. And again, not to like impugn Star Trek Discovery season four so much. We have another podcast where we do that. But for whatever reason, whether it's the tone, whether it is the admitted nostalgia baiting I'm having someone like Jean-Luc Picard or even Seven of Nine there, this is just a wackadoo show specifically this season where it's like I can't wait for Thursday morning just to see what's in store it's a, it's a mood that I very much have for Wednesday mornings with a lot of the Marvel content and Star Wars content that comes out of Disney plus Star Trek Picard is flat out ridiculous in many ways and we'll talk about how it really went there this season in particular that I am legitimately intrigued and not necessarily in like an I'm on the edge of my seat you know this is so salacious territory but more like we are just in absolutely ridiculous territory for the franchise at this point, and I have no idea where we're going next. Well, the thing that I like about it, Mike, is that it manages to both be ridiculous and push the boundaries while also feeling very true to Star Trek. Like You can tell this comes from a place of love, similar to Lower Decks, I would say. Like Lower Decks is ridiculous in its own way, but in this way where they are really deep into the Star Trek Bible, as it were, digging up all the Easter eggs, but also telling the story that is so bonkers, we don't know what's going to happen to it next. In, you know, in sharp contrast with Discovery, 
where we're getting the same bonkers story three times in a row. Yeah. And what I do find interesting about this as well, as opposed to something like Discovery, is that they try to sort of skirt this line of making like self-contained stories, but within the larger arc of the the serialization that is happening. And, and I appreciate that. Like that is the middle ground I think you should go for. It didn't necessarily work this past season. What I'm interested in with Picard is it seems like, especially once we went to 2024, we're just going like serialized. You know, it's not it's not necessarily, okay, this episode's about this, this episode's about it, this. I think you could certainly frenzify it of, you know, this week was certainly the one with the the, the Soong relative and also, you know, trying to rob a gala or something like that. But I do feel like episodes three to five flow together very naturally, uh, which also is really intriguing considering that that makes, by consequence, episodes one and two very much separate on their own. The pacing of this season is very intriguing for me, Jess. Let me throw out a question here for you. Do you think we have five episodes left? Are we spending all five in 2024? I think we're spending all but one of them in 2024. Mm, I so think, think we're going to have... go back. Yeah, I think we are going to, we're going to end up going back by the last one, but I think there's going to be a lot of like, I think there's going to be a lot of disconnect when we go back to the future. Sorry. I mean, listen, Leah Thompson did direct two episodes of this, so it's yep. in the And DNA she showed show. up, yeah, she showed up in this week's episode. Did she? Who did she play? She was in, um, she's on the, like, she's on the board of, um, like, she's one of the people sitting behind uh, the desk. She's one of the people, like, wagging their fingers at the Soong relative? Yes. Yes. And uh, I, I think maybe you wouldn't recognize Leah Thompson if the last thing you saw her in was Back to the Future. But she, um, as an adult, has been in shows that I've watched um, rather shamefully, Switched at Birth. She was the <laughs> mother on that show, and I watched it to the bitter end. So it's like I'm only a couple of years removed from my last Leah Thompson. I mean, Switched at Birth could kind of be the storyline of this Picard season, right? But it's more like timelines are being switched at birth. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, these timelines have been horribly switched. Um, but yeah, there is... I would say that I think we're going to have like a, you know, messed up Q episode where you don't know if, you know, up is down, right is wrong, the present is the past. But I think by episode nine, I think the end of episode nine, you might have, they might fix everything. It's a typical way that we're telling stories and structuring them in the modern TV era. We're going to have all the exciting stuff in the penultimate episode and then have that last episode to put the pieces all back together. Yeah. And look, things might seem a bit bleak at the moment, but it's a little uh, spore drivey. I think we'll get into like the whole Agnes Gerardi storyline, but it is a little spore drivey to me to go back to discovery of like, Oh no, our one source of fuel is now gone. Mm -hmm. It's good that it like, you know, she happens to be living inside the head of one of our currently existing cast members. Yeah. But man, it was satisfying to see her get blasted. Yeah. Though. I mean, I don't know. How did you feel seeing the the half Borg queen essentially the entire time? Like, did it more so feel like putting her out of her misery? Did it feel, you know, uh, a little neutering to just see her suspended from wires in the air like she's some sort of Super Bowl halftime show? I mean, having her like just sort of hanging there, it's sort of like having art on your wall that makes fun of you. And she was so <laughs> mean. It's just like, 
I, I feel like they should put her in stasis when they're not using her. Yeah, Borg Queen, yeah, she's got a little bit of a toot on her this time yeah. around. And we pointed this out last time that this is, of course, uh, any Wershing as the Borg Queen is not Alice Kripke, uh, who played her during her, her various other tenures on these shows. I, I don't remember much about her outside of First Contact, but I do feel like she was not as fresh as she was this time around. Maybe she's like a little cranky, right? She's metaphorically hungry because she has no people to assimilate. But like, she's really giving it to Agnes Gerardi. Unless there's maybe this symbiosis thing where, you know, Agnes gleaned some stuff from her and she gleaned some of these like snarky qualities that Gerardi had. I mean, that's definitely possible. But I think Borg Queen definitely took a different approach in first contact with Data, where I feel like this Borg Queen is just constantly nagging Agnes. And I think I think OG Borg Queen made the prospect of being assimilated more attractive to Data. Like, she mm. made him want to be with her, and like, I think new Borg Queen is like, your current life sucks so bad that maybe this one will be better. Yeah. Um, it's like, get out of this life as opposed to come to the one I'm offering you, you know? Yeah, I mean, could that be sort of like the sales thing, though, right? Like, read the person that you're pitching to and yeah. see how they want to handle it. That Data was someone that obviously yearned for a lot of human emotions, that, like, love is something he would want to naturally connect with. And as the board queen is wont to say, like, Agnes Gerardi, self-effacing, self-deprecating AF, that I think she would probably buy it as a load of BS if you told her, like, you are loved, Agnes, please come with us, <laughs> I will embrace you, and more so, like, your life sucks right now. Don't you want things to be a little bit better? Yeah, or don't you want to just not be in the life that sucks? They don't even, she doesn't even really sell it as being better. She's yeah. just like, maybe you should just embrace the void instead of living the terrible life you live now. And it, it's hard to listen to. Like, I would have shot her in the face, too. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, the life that doesn't your life suck, let's talk about that second <laughs> episode, because it really does stand on its own. And we were wondering when we had that wake up happen at the end of episode one, like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, talk about Back to the Future. This is very much out of Back to the Future, too, after Biff finds the almanac and we, like, flash forward to, like, oh, my God, or flash back to this is what life is like, uh, you know. Now I don't want to talk are... about alternate 1987 anymore after the last four years. <laughs> yeah, and well, that's the other thing as well. We're certainly <laughs> talking about, like, looking our current society in the face, as it were. But when it comes to, like, that episode alone, seeing, as Q calls it, the road not taken, uh, essentially the future that they are now trying to prevent of the confederation of Earth, xenophobia and all. What did you think about this one-off episode? I mean, I thought it really, I, I think the whole season, uh, the season as a whole has really preyed on that dystopian sense that we're all feeling right now and spending a lot of time calling out the way things are now and how Star Trek has historically driven to change that and show you what life is going to be like when it's better and so it's very jarring when you see star trek's take on what is you know what's the darkest timeline it's really interesting whenever you go to like the mirror universe and all of the people on the show are in very important roles so there's that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do wonder what's the story of how you know this version of seven of nine of annika ends up becoming president of the entire confederation of earth yeah president of earth where you know 
She's in the Stacey Abrams role, as it were. Except she's... Yeah, very different, though. Uh, Stacey Abrams would, yes. like, walk into Federation headquarters and just be, like, seize them and just, like, order her magistrate to just take <laughs> everybody hostage. Because, yeah, this uh, this new Earth does not necessarily enjoy people of other species, necessarily, to the point where they are celebrating a day where, like, the much-revered, bloodthirsty Picard will now execute, uh, you know, the Borg on stage. Yeah, and they are not at all subtle about the parallels between what is happening on this very xenophobic confederation universe and what is happening in 2024 with um, with ICE rounding up all of the um, all of the undocumented people and sending them to the border. They're really not subtle about that at all, and I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that overall, like, look, whenever this happens, whenever not only direct parallels are drawn, but, like, they're underlined, bolded, and italicized, and maybe yes. even highlighted, it it encourages those, like, 5% of Star Trek viewers to start posting on social media, like, when did this show get too political? What are they doing? And it's like, dude, what show have you been watching the entire time? Or have you just not been opening your eyes? At which point, like, Gene Roddenberry's rolling over in his grave at the very idea of you not understanding the entire onus of his show to begin with. But I, this was a fun episode to me in a way that at, you evoke the name Mirror Universe really is, especially in shows to me like uh, in DS9 and Discovery when we would like go back there a couple of times, even if it's just like changes in the stylization, right? Like Picard in the black uniform now that he essentially is the Captain Killy of this universe. Whether it's just something like Jerry Ryan without the the face implants, I know we have that the entire season. And I also, even though we did it again and again and again in this episode, I always love the sort of device of, okay, you wake up and you're in a world and you have no idea who you are and what's going on. And I will give credit, man. I think Seven of Nine is becoming the Hugh Colbert slash Jet Reno of Star Trek Picard for me. And just mm -hmm. like being an unequivocal badass who also seems to be the person in the room that always knows what to do at all times and have the most level head. She is the only person that does a great job of saying, okay. I'm the president. Let me fake it till I make it and figure out what's going on. Uh, even though she is in arguably the position that can be found out the most and have the highest stakes once they, you know, the goose is cooked, she is able to really maintain a fantastic guise as opposed to someone like Dr. Gerardi who just stands there jaw agape the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to applaud Seven's improv skills for sure. Um, Dr. Gerardi is just, I, I mean, I love her perpetual awkwardness. And her attempts to play along and to try to yes and what's going on there. But yeah, Seven is the definitely the champ at this kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess, you know, as, as we talk about this penance thing, they end up escaping at the end, right? Everyone eventually comes together, uh, be they, you know, high our higher ups in the Confederation or poor lowly Elnor, who is sort of like a Romulan refugee once more. They end up getting taken aboard the La Serena to pull a little Star Trek four here to like slingshot around the sun to go back in time. And something interesting happens here, Jess, because Elnor gets shot at the end of episode two. And I remember watching this with Angela and Angela's like, Oh my God, he's dying. I'm like, they're not going to kill Elnor. This is going to be a thing where like they go back in time and he's totally fine. But for all intents and purposes, Jess, Elnor may be dead. Yeah, I don't know if he's dead forever, though. Like, I think 
they really try to sell it as, well, dead's not dead because if we do this assignment correctly, we'll go back and we'll come into our regular timeline and Elnor will be fine. They really, they almost don't hit that mark as hard as they could have. It doesn't feel as much of a loss because they're still trying to do it to bring him back, I guess. Right. That is a good point, right? That this could be, you know, the end of X-Men Days of Future Past where Wolverine accomplishes the thing and then he comes back and James Marsden Cyclops is there. You know, of oh, okay, I was able to undo these things and undo this bad and you're alive again. I just find it interesting because, so the onus of the entire, like, exercise of going to the alternate timeline was this particular, it seems, group of main characters were the ones to flash back into there and to step back into their consciousnesses. And Elnor was too, and I was a little surprised that he was taken off the map in that way. Again, we'll certainly talk about, you know, the way they used or maybe haven't used Issa Briones so far uh, in this 2024 storyline. Maybe we'll see something similar from Elnor as well, right? What we've kind of been seeing of the Dixon Hill-esque, okay, here's the same actor but playing a different character. I just find it interesting that, I don't know if even Evan Ivagora had something else that he was working on, but that at least for the moment, he's been like semi-perma killed off the show. Is the only reason they took him off the show so that they wouldn't have to do makeup on anybody? Like, That's we have true. taken the Borg pieces off of Seven. Everybody else is, for all intents and purposes, a human. Yeah, but there was that one shot right in the last episode where Raffi is starting to see Elnor and people. So, like, yeah. unless they're CGIing it, he's still putting on those ears for that half second. I guess. They could shoot that all in a day, though. Yeah, it's true. And I'm, I guess we have to look out for anyone who's wearing, like, very conspicuous headbands to see if they're Vulcans. Because that's the only way that Vulcans can get around in this time period. Yeah, you wear a headband and then you act like a hippie. Yes, exactly. And then you uh, insult a guy who's playing his music too loud on the bus. This was my favorite thing that's happened on the entirety of Picard. This I, is amazing. <laughs> I think the only thing that I quibble with is why does the guy have a boombox? Nobody has seen a boombox in 20 years. He needed to be blasting it out of his iPhone like people do on the subway every single day in New York City. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why. They, I mean, I guess because the prop is so iconic, they had to go with that. But I also feel like it wasn't just the boombox to me. It was the boombox and, like, the ridiculous spiked hair. Uh, and so I love that that got brought back. I love the sort of yes and of the fact that now he has ridiculous facial hair to match. I am surprised he, I mean, I guess this shows, though, that uh, Spock truly had an influence on him in that last time, you know, he flips him off. And this time he is very, very meekly asked to turn it off and just like completely does it, probably remembering the trauma he experienced last time this happened. Yeah, he doesn't want to get nerve pinched again, but I find it hard to believe that he didn't get asked to turn his music down at any point in, in you know, the 30 years since this happened before. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, we should also mention that... This guy, Kirk Thatcher, who plays Punk on the Bus, I think is his official <laughs> character name. Uh, he does a lot, a lot behind the camera, behind the proverbial boombox, if you will. Yeah, he is. He has a very long resume for sure, and I love that. I love that he hasn't. He doesn't seem to have aged either. He still looks great. I mean, I know the, you know, the punk look can cover up a lot, but. Man, I, I was impressed. Like, you can tell it's the same guy. Yeah, so uh, we should point out here that, you know, 
he was he was an associate producer who like just got brought on by Leonard Nimoy, who I believe directed The Voyage Home, to be just in this day player role. Uh, but he ends up directing just something that is near and dear to both of our hearts: a lot of Muppet stuff. Uh, between it's a very merry Muppet Christmas, uh, Muppet Wizard of Oz, Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, he he co-wrote. I know more recently the Muppets Haunted Mansion Disney Plus special. He wrote and directed that. And what's really fun as well is speaking of some goofy sci-fi stuff, he is writing on the season of Mystery Science Theater three thousand that is about to release. That's very exciting. I have I must admit I have not kept up with like the reboot of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, but now I'm inspired to. So I guess we should get into twenty twenty four proper, Jess, because let's get overall thoughts on just this aesthetic. Because again, it could really go in one of two directions when we talk about the sort of like allegorical elements of Star Trek in general. When you place them in our era, like in this or in past tense in Deep Space Nine, do you feel like that works for you here? To have Picard and a young Guinan, which we'll talk about, discuss this idea of like, look at humanity crumbling and Picard essentially saying like, there is still hope, you know, things are darkest just before the dawn. How do you feel like all that works up against a modern day setting rather than the sort of visage of hundreds and hundreds of years from now? I mean... I can't disagree with the message, Mike, but I feel like they got pretty heavy-handed here in a way that felt a little bit more immediate than previous times when they've discussed this era. Like, I think we have to keep thinking about, especially since they're in 2024, we have to think about the Deep Space Nine arc where they are in San Francisco in 2024 to prevent the Bell Riots. Yeah, I mean, to to the point where sure they happen. Yeah, yeah, and there was actually like a, a shout out to it. Like I know they talk about sanctuary camps, but I believe the newspaper that Q is looking at at the end of episode four has uh, something to mention about Chris Brenner, who is sort of like the the media magnet that Jedzia Dax ends up cozying up to in those episodes. Yeah, so we have to think about it in contrast to that, and I think they tried very hard in those episodes to make it seem extra dystopian. It was like, this is very far off in the future and people are terrible, but it's like, oh, that's actually not too different from what we are going through now. And this brings it into more sharp, immediate focus where they're saying like the worst of humanity is here on display in this time that is, you know, directly adjacent to the time in which you, the viewer are right now. And it does feel like they're not wrong, but it's sort of like they are looking right into the camera and saying, wow, your time sucks. And that's, you know, maybe a little bit heavier than we might be ready for. It's a really difficult needle to thread because something that I always loved about Star Trek is, while it does embrace the issues that we we deal with in our day-to-day basis, it still does it smartly and creatively within, again, this guise of everything happening, you know, in, in this federation, in this society that seems just so far flung into the future, that seems completely different from ours, yet similar in so many ways. And it, it feels odd to then have them do those same messages, but like standing in the middle of L.A. in the 2020s. Right. Like that is still something that has a little bit of a disconnect in my mind. And I will agree. I'll, I said this before, but like particularly the young Guinan and Picard stuff in episode four, 
first of all, I thought was really interesting in terms of just the history of Guinan's character. But I did feel maybe smidged a bit over the line in terms of heavy-handedness of like, but it really sucks, but we can't give up hope now. We certainly can't. It also, uh, speaking towards the optics of this, and I'm not sure if they meant it, not the best look for a young black woman to be like, yeah, things are really terrible right now. And, and you know, Picard being like, it's not so bad. I'm an old yeah. white man and things are all right. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's tough that I I really admire the effort for what they did here. And I will say the the ice stuff I actually thought was interesting. Like that's more so the way that that I think things can be really interestingly done of like you said drawing a lot of parallels to that sort of dystopian future as well as just like this overall idea of rounding up those that are not like us and you know persecuting them for those reasons to throw someone like Rios into it as well. Right. That's the other thing. It's not like our characters standing at arm's length from these issues and sort of like monologizing about how hard it is. Rios gets to experience firsthand just due to his own, you know, genetic makeup, all this persecution. And it has to be a shock to his system. And while admittedly like the, the way they personified ice was a little like neener, neener, neener mustache twirling, uh, to some people, that might not be too discrepant from the way that things are. So, like, I can't even say that it's too OTT. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting obverse of the coin when you put this next to Star Trek: The Voyage Home, where you have you have Chekhov running around downtown yes. San Francisco asking about the nuclear vessels, and that's right. played for laughs. And this is played for the opposite of laughs, basically. Yeah, but it's the same really thing that they're yeah, they're thinking about it in terms of you know what you know we you know in the future this stuff doesn't matter but where you came from and like the politics of your home country those have changed a lot in several hundred years but they didn't really try to put any critical thought on what does it mean to be you know what would that mean seriously it's just funny because there's a Russian guy running around talking about nuclear weapons. Right. And not to mention, like, uh, you know, there weren't many moments when Uhura and Sulu are, like, able right. to make certain certain pieces of commentary, you know, where I'd be intrigued to find out, you know, will we get a moment like that with Rafi, for instance, uh, that that might happen. I mean, when they ended up uh, filching a police car, I did wonder if we were going into, like, a certain type of commentary there. Yeah, that could have ended very differently. I was concerned for a minute. So let's talk about maybe some uh, some of these other, you know, non-futuroids being affiliated here. Because this woman, Teresa, I am so intrigued as to where we're going with her, if we are. She is the nurse of this clinic that, you know, services undocumented people specifically. She ends up finding Rios after, like, poor dude gets the most unfortunate beaming <laughs> in ever. Beams two stories above ground and, like, wangs himself on a fire escape and flat out just gets wrecked. Uh, but, you know, she ends up building a bit of chemistry with him, and he ends up getting shuffled off on this bus, obviously, that ends up getting taken over. What do you think, Jess? Is this someone that you think we'll see in the future? And will this be, you know, our consummate person who falls in love with Kirk, but for Rios? Yeah, I was going to say, this is 100% that character. Like, they're going to go out for pizza and beer and fall in love, and she's going to want to come back with them. Yeah, well, just watch out for any cars that are coming by, uh, unless it's faded in the future for that to happen. 
Yeah. No kidding. So I I would guess that that's the, that's the beat we're hitting right there. But I'm surprised that that beaming incident, that's the first time we've ever seen that. Am I correct? In all of Star right. Trek, we don't miscalculate where people are and end up dropping them into like crevasses. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, we certainly have had instances where they're like, you know, there's interference on the planet, so we might beam you down to a location that we don't intend to. But this was a miscalculation in altitude. And, you know, the rationale that they used was like, they haven't set up the proverbial cell towers yet at this time period to be able to do these homing signals. I mean, it ended up working pretty fine uh, when they were able to beam them back, ultimately, in this most recent episode. But they, I guess they were so quick to chomp at the bit once they landed, they sort of didn't want to wait out the full buffering time. They went with the beta version. Yeah, but I'm surprised we don't get people, like, beamed onto, like, the roof of a building. Like, oh, I'm locked up. I'm locked out up here. I can't get down. Or, you know, we beam them into somebody's basement and trap them or into a cave or something, we always end up like pretty much on pretty flat, empty ground for the most part. Right. And maybe that's also the topography of the stages that they're using. Yeah, there's that. Uh, but I think maybe the combination of being in a hurry and having this ship with this slightly different technology that they don't know how to operate, I'll give them a pass for that. But I'm surprised we've never used that as a plot device. I guess we should mention, like, the reason for the season, right? Quite literally, what they've been sent back to do. So, just correct me if I'm wrong here. So, Q talks about how, essentially, like, this confederation of Earth was caused by him, essentially, going back and preventing his, I don't know, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother from going up into space on this Europa mission and as a result, that's the small domino in the meme that leads to the large domino of xenophobic dystopia. I guess so. That that seems to be the issue here. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little confused as to how, why, what. I think that's done purposely because I think the other thing that's going on with Q evidently is it seems like he doesn't have his power. So he sort of is settled into donning these disguises a la Count Olaf from a series of unfortunate hmm. events to just convince people to not do things. But it seems like because initially I think maybe our perception at the end of episode one was like, oh, Q needs Picard's help. More so it seems like Q sort of made this happen and was playing with him because, you know, he dislikes humanity that much and now Picard is working against Q once more. Yeah, I always assume that whatever's happening, Q doesn't necessarily need help unless he comes right out and says it. He's basically he's messing with everybody. And especially the way that he was so adversarial to Picard. That's not how you act with someone that you actually need the help of. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was waiting for like an enemies turns to friends thing, but no it's Q. It's always going to be Q. And here, I guess his plan at the moment is to not get her in space. I mean, I know this is not necessarily the full first contact. Like, oh my god, if this person doesn't go up there, then the whole future is changed. But it does seem like, for what it's worth, Renee Picard is able to play an incredibly important role, in particular, amongst this Europa crew. Yeah, I would... I think we need to know more about her, and I assume we're going to find out more about her in the next episode. But it sure seems like 
there's a couple of different plot elements that got introduced in this last episode that um that i'm interested to see they don't feel like they're quite coming together yet yeah, let, should we talk about the Watcher to that point? Uh, ironically yes. enough, you know, there's an episode called Watcher, and we don't see the eponymous Watcher until the end. We and Picard are all misled to think that is Guinan because, like, hey, it's Guinan, Guinan's an Aloran. Like, they're always watching, they're always doing stuff. But no, there is indeed a Watcher. Uh, you know, is doing a little bit of like Loki esque shape shifting stuff by jumping into people's bodies, and it turns out that the the Watcher, also known as the Supervisor. So Picard's really caroning at this moment, essentially, asking to speak with the supervisor. <laughs> the supervisor's name is Talon, played by Orla Brady, who not in, as you mentioned, not in those Romulan ears. And I'm just incredibly confused by this. Yeah, Orla Brady with the American accent that needs a little help. Yeah, there were a couple of words that she said that I was like, I could just feel that Ireland just like eking through. It's okay. You don't need to be completely American for this. You know, it's it's sci-fi. We can drop the guys here. She could still be Irish. I don't know exactly why she has to. Yeah. I mean, she was Irish when she was a Romulan. By the way, did you love the explanation from a couple episodes ago about like the history of Chateau Picard, about how during World War II, like their relatives ran away to England and that sort of meta explains why Jean-Luc Picard has a British accent? They're trying so hard there. And, and I think it is, it's very much fan service, but it's like, here are questions that 0.001% of hardcore Trek fans still care about. Right. It's sort of closing up that loop of like, uh, almost like that William Shatner Trekkie convention SNL skit of like, all yes. right, you freaks, you're, you're up. we got your question answer. Okay, we're done. Next. Get a yeah. life. You know, in a related note, we can find out where Jack from Lost got his tattoos. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all checking the same relative boxes there. But yeah, I'm just I am really intrigued by this because we'll get to some other appearances here, you know, in Adam Soong and in, uh, you know, his daughter. This makes sense to me, just given like the history of that family in a manner of speaking to have the same actress play these two vastly different characters leaves me with so many questions. Is this Laris? having much more than we thought that she was, you know, was she sort of like a guardian of forever, someone that was sort of undercover the entire time? Or is it like Talon is a relatively formless being and took the shape of someone who Picard had in his heart in the form of Laris? So basically taking a cue from the Jodie Foster film contact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I assume that's what it was. Like, she could take whatever form she wants, but she's taking one that she knows Picard will trust and respond to. I would imagine that it's well. Because, yeah, I feel like it might be a bridge too far to be like, oh, I'm actually the distant relative of her. And otherwise, it would seem way too coincidental. I think considering her ability to shift between consciousnesses, as it were, it would make sense to me of the classic sci-fi trope, right? Of like, oh, I will appear to you in a form that you are comfortable with the most. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Or the, it's it's sort of a guardian of forever thing. Like I'm gonna figure out what what's gonna make people be okay with me. Yeah. So what do you think about this entire role of the supervisor, though? Right. That like they are assigned a person essentially who can cause a fracture in the timeline, and like they're just supposed to babysit them the entire time to make sure that doesn't happen. It's a little bit. I I felt like when when that was described as guardian angel. Like, that's kind of a bridge too far. Yeah, where's Della Reese? Yeah, it's really convenient that this person exists. 
And it's also convenient if you're trying to F up the timeline, too, because it's just like, oh, I need to find one of those watcher types and I'll figure out who they're watching and then ruin that person's life. And then I have have irrevocably ruined the timeline. It does make things particularly easier in that way, right? That essentially, if she is serving as the secret service of Renee Picard, it's like, well, if I find her, then I'm able to find Picard as well. Uh, if you, Even if you just take down the heavy, like, that lets you get to them much easier. Because otherwise, like, Q is straight up effing with her, and Talon's like, well, I can't do anything. That What's your job? What are you supposed to be doing then? Yeah, and I that also seems very convenient to me. It really seems like Q... Hugh losing his powers at this moment just makes it a more interesting story to shoot. Right. It's this idea of like, oh, I've been doing this thing for a long time. Wait, what? This is what on, right under my nose the entire time. So Talon does not look fantastic, but hopefully, you know, Orla Brady is credited in the main cast. So I'm going to imagine she's going to play a fairly large role in the back half of the season and probably give Picard, you know, an opportunity to uh, renegotiate his own feelings going on for someone who happens to look exactly like her. Yeah. Do you think Picard makes a romantic move on Talon? Ooh, I don't know. Because I feel like Talon is so distinctly different from Laris, at least in this moment, right? Like, Talon Talon is incredibly no-nonsense. Like, she sends that little girl up to say, get the hell out of here, young guy. And like, I never want to see your your stupid face again. She is <laughs> very short-tempered, as opposed to Laris, who is like, a good caretaker and good customer service skills. Ironically enough, the supervisor does not have those. Yeah, but it could be one of those situations of um, this person doesn't have the thing you need, but this person happens to look exactly like the person you're attracted to and does have the thing you need. Right. I'm going to fall in love with this alternate universe version of Laris, who happens to have all the things that I want, but, you know, not the things that would disclose me from not getting with the, the original one. It is. I. I still. I'm still kind of stuck on Laris being Picard's love interest for this, for this season because she was married to someone else last season. It's very convenient that he happens to not be around anymore. Yeah, and that they sort of yada yada through the grieving process of like, ah, yeah. oh, they're fine now. She's over oh. him now. It's- yeah, he died a year ago. It's. It's. You know, distant past. Yeah, and Romulans, like, their living will is like, uh, yeah, go hop in someone else's bed, you know? So we're, we're footloose and fancy-free here. Us Romulans are really known for just our, our really liberal sexual policies. <laughs> yeah, Romulans are known for, like, I would say Romulans are probably not very good lays because they don't communicate anything. Right, that's the thing, is you constantly feel like they're thinking about someone else because they probably are. yeah. Yeah, and you can't just ask them because they're not going to tell you a thing. Like, they're not going to tell you if they like something either. Well, speaking of characters that look like other characters, let's talk about the Soong in the room here. Of course, Brent Spiner showing back up. Gotta say, like, hell of a genetic pool in the Soong family, considering that, like, there is no deviation. Every generation looks like Brent Spiner. God, there. yeah, I, I gotta know, like why isn't there anything else in the gene pool here? And I'll I'll give him a pass that he made the androids look like him, but the rest of that, there's no excuse. I don't know. I mean, listen, we know from Enterprise, right, that they were sort of, he was one of the masters of eugenics and lead to the genetics war and everything like that. Maybe at a certain point, he kind of tainted his blood to be like, okay, they'll only look like me from here on out. So you're saying he doesn't have any spouse. They're just all clones. Right, it's a little bit like uh, breeding like a sponge, you know, asexual. <laughs> you sort of butt off of him. Or like uh, Boba Fett. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we do have his daughter here. Now, of course, this is a, another big question as well. Of course, when Issa Brione shows up on Picard, you have to ask, is she an android? At least initially, it appears not. Her daughter's name is Kor, I think. And her Kor issue is that she has like some sort of blood condition and that Dr. Soong is really getting disbarred for trying out these unconventional, dangerous medical practices to, like, cure his daughter's de debilitating condition. I, I, I'm going to say she's a human because we're not really, we're not into the, we're not far enough in the future that we've got androids yet. So mm. I'm going to say she's definitely human, but it does raise the question of, is this why, is this why Dodge and Soji look the way they do? And why Data was painting pictures of his quote-unquote daughter. And is this because this imprint of core is like in his core memories somewhere? Mm, no, I like that. Very Westworld. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that is the case. That even if like she, if and when she ends up dying and some relative of Dr. Soong begins to create the first android that it is like, modeled after the most important person in Adam Soong's life, and it goes down from there. Now, you do have the occasional lol from time to time that shows up at Data's actual daughter, but, <laughs> you know, it, it does, uh, it, it, it would make sense for this to sort of carry through in the way that the Soongs do, sort of, like, made in their image. But I was surprised. You know, you had speculated, I remember, in our first episode podcast that, like, Issa Briones, she was not on the Stargazer when it ended up being taken over by the Borg Queen, but at least she'll probably be brought on board as like a member of Picard's crew. That doesn't seem to be the case, at least for the time being. Like she and Adam Soong seem to be doing things completely separate from what's going on with Picard. Yeah, they're kind of off on their own their own universe. Um and, you know, so far. I think they're they're going to definitely come into play with what Picard is up to, because obviously Q is getting them on board, but it is it is going to be interesting to see that come to fruition. I think it's got to start happening next week. Yeah, look at Q doing, like, drug dealer tendencies, right? Like, the first taste is free, and then then Core goes swimming, and then she's suffering again, and he's like, ah, well, I got you more, but you're going to have to help me with this one. I know that the dude loves chaos, but, like, that is straight-up diabolical. Yeah, well, Q is interesting because he doesn't have his powers right now, but he still has his cunning. Like, he still has the things that make him him, even if he's not omnipotent anymore. And it's really funny to see the way he's playing around all of the things that he can't do. And he's finding ways to manipulate people anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, Q is obviously something that is going to be the main adversary moving forward. But there is something quite literally over the shoulder that is happening here. Let's talk about the Fight Club aspect of Agnes Gerardi. Uh, you know, her, both her sort of like face off with the Borg Queen, the still in retrospect, I think questionable decision for her to be like, all right, hook me up to the Borg Queen so I can get the information out of her, even though it led to a fantastic scene from Allison Pill, where like she really did that happy room, sad stuff, sad room stuff incredibly well. But now it turns out like, hey, you left the door open and now you're probably going to get assimilated. Yeah, that seems like I I mean we've we've also seen this happen before where there's like a secret, you know, there's a secret evil presence in the back of your mind controlling you. Um that's a 
common Star Trek trope as well. True. Did you expect it to pop up this quickly? Because I agree with you that I had a feeling by season's end that we were going to get not maybe not like full Borgi Agnes Gerardi, Agnes Borgi, if you will, but that, you know, there there would be a good swing towards that as like a, a twist going into season three. I did not necessarily expect, you know, the Borg Queen injecting her with her Doc Ock tendrils and then her kind of like essentially having the Borg Queen now inside her. Yeah, I apparently the prevailing sentiment on Reddit, like to the point where people are just talking about this as if this is true, is that the Borg Queen that we saw in the beginning of the season with the black gunk on the face is Gerardi. Oh, like we just re- assuming, Red Angel did. Yeah, where they're just assuming that it's Red Angeling it. Um but I I don't know. The the idea of like this ghostly presence following her around and commenting on everything, that's a trope that's been not just in Star Trek, but in a lot of places. And I see why they're doing it here, but I it's hard to unassimilate. And I think I think we've also been there a couple of times, too. Right. I will say, I don't know, I go back and forth as to whether this is unique territory, because like you said, hell, with the character itself, Seven of Nine, like, we could have yada yada this with Picard, but with, with Seven of Nine, we talked a lot about the process of, like, ejecting yourself from the Borg. I don't think we've talked a lot about, like, the process of assimilation, so I am intrigued that we're showing that, right? This, like, slow circling of the drain, even the conversations that they were having in episode four, right? The deals that they were wheeling and dealing, like, it sucks for the character to watch her essentially get pulled into this, even though we knew that it would happen all along. But for the life of me, I can't really remember a sustained long-term storyline that showed, like, someone falling under the hypnosis of assimilation. It almost always felt like flipping a switch more than anything. Yeah, it it really did. And it's also, I feel like we're doing Agnes Gerardi dirty this season, too. I feel like we, last season, she got to do cool things. And she was knowledgeable and capable and, you know, pushed the plot forward in positive ways. And this season, it's just like, oh, she has a terrible life and she's miserable all the time. And so somebody's going to exploit that to get what they want. Do you think that comes at the consequence of not having a season around robotics? Because obviously the way that she comes to become a, a member of the crew, right, is that like she works with androids. And so when the big mystery was what happened to Bruce Maddox, what's going on with the androids, she was a paramount part of it. Do you feel like it's a matter of, well, we're not sure what we need to use her for now. So like, let's lampshade that almost. Well, it it's, I think in some ways, yes, but she's also, like, she seems to have a pretty good handle on medical stuff, too. Um, like, the bio part of the biomechanics, she's she's pretty good. We, we could put her in, like, a McCoy role, or I guess more appropriately a Bashir role, because she's so mm-hmm. precocious. But I think they're also trying to sort of mirror what she was doing last season, where she was kind of the unwitting carrier of the bad things. But you know, why are we doing that with the same character? Right. That's sort of like the, you know, the trope of like, oh, so-and-so always gets kidnapped, right? She can become the April O'Neil of Picard. Yeah, or the Miles O'Brien always gets tortured. Right, exactly. Like, there are certain tropes that you can steer into. So I will say, like, from an Allison Pill perspective, 
I'm really intrigued to see where this goes because I think she's a really great actress and I, I like exploring those dimensions. Again, the scene where she just sat in the chair like kept me captivated. But I do agree that, you know, we'll talk very, very soon about what season three is going to provide. And if it's yet another instance of like Agnes Gerardi is in trouble or Agnes Gerardi becomes the vessel for this thing, then it starts to feel like we're getting into the space of the first show that Picard was a part of that we didn't necessarily enjoy those facets of. Yeah, I I need this to go somewhere interesting. And I arguably it will be interesting if this Borg queen sucking power out of the ship in episode one turns out to be Agnes Gerardi. That's going to be very interesting. So speaking of what we can look ahead to, Jess, like given what we've seen so far, is there anything you want to proverbially plant your flag on of people will see or things that will happen in the next five episodes of Star Trek Picard? Well, I think we don't choose 2024 without it tying back to the Bell Riots. I need some references to the Bell Riots, a apart from just like a tiny headline that you have to pause the video to see. I think we need to know why this era in particular, like why did we put this, why did we put this mission here? Um, I want to see that and I want to see, I want to see some character growth from a few of these people that seem to be stuck in their same in their same spot like mm -hmm. i need to see i still don't understand how all of these people went from the people that we saw at the end of last season to playing the starfleet game in episode one of this season and then kind of just sliding back into their previous roles i i'm still kind of puzzled by that I, I could definitely feel that. I don't know if we're going to get that. I think it just Probably might be not. like, we're all back to normal here. My prediction is, I think a la First Contact, I think we are getting at least one, if not maybe two, of our characters on that Europa mission. Because I think this is just like the Zephram Cochran of like, uh, okay, we got to get Rene Picard up there. I think there's a good chance that Jean-Luc himself ends up going up there. Maybe one other character to like, make sure that she ends up doing so. And so they, much like the Bell Riots themselves, like end up inadvertently playing the role in that historical event they're trying to preserve. Oh, oh, wait, hold on, Mike. Hold on. So they think there is a sentient life form on Io, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if the crew of La Serena somehow winds up going back into space, like kind of in parallel with the Europa mission... Are they the life form that gets discovered? Oh, that is interesting. Of like, oh, we're aliens. I don't know, but what do they tell them? What do they tell her? Because that's, I feel like sentient organism to me sounds like, you know, bacteria. It doesn't sound to me like fully fledged out people. Well, sentient implies fully fledged out people. But random life form, I guess, could be, you know, algae. Yeah, I guess that's true. But then like, why then does it take so long after that to get to Zephram Cochran, right? Because like that takes at least a hundred years, I want to say. No, it's it's like it's forty years. It's twenty sixty three, I think. Oh, it is. Okay, then never. In fact, mind. yesterday yeah. wasn't wasn't the oh, day yesterday before was yesterday. Yeah, first contact day. Yeah, it was first contact day. So that's coming up. Like they don't have that long. I think I'm more interested in the actual like mechanics of it because. How are you going from what we have right now to light speed in 40 years? 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. And maybe that's how, like, you know, an Adam Soong ends up getting involved in some way. That maybe he just wasn't a, a geneticist as well. He was able to, like, access this. Maybe Q ends up getting involved. I'm not entirely sure. But I do think that's going to end up being the case. That they will be able to fight, you know, these Q elements. They will get Rene Picard on that ship. And I think they're going to maybe even inadvertently play the role in the very thing that they're ending up trying to ensure happening at that moment. It's like the, you know, finding the robot arm inside the machinery at Cyberdyne and building Terminators out of it. Right, exactly. Or like finding Data's head in the cave in uh, Time's Arrow, right? Of like, okay, now I need to do this in order for this to happen. Uh, Harry Potter creating the 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 uh, the Patronus across the river when he went back in time. Very similar circumstances, etc., yeah. etc. Et Bill Jess, and Ted would... hiding the keys at the police station. Right, exactly. Putting the garbage <laughs> can up at the, at the up to to trap Ted's dad into it. It's all the same thing when it comes to time travel. All right, Jess, I would be remiss. To not bring up the fact that, as you mentioned, at the time of recording this, yesterday was First Contact Day. And who golly, we got a hell of an announcement for the upcoming season of Star Trek Picard. Officially renewed for season three, which should be announced. It was like a f- sort of talked about in a semi-official capacity through interviews, but like officially confirmed that this is Star Trek Picard's last season. They are three and out, but they are going out with a bang because... Apparently, nearly all of the main cast of Star Trek The Next Generation is coming back for Star Trek Picard Season 3. That was quite a thing to drop on us. I agree. And I'm very excited about it, but I'm torn. I'm torn, Mike, because I don't want next season of Picard to just be like the lost eighth season of TNG. They can't... They can't make us care about all of these new characters and put Picard in this very Federation critical new attitude and then just put him back on the Enterprise with all of his Enterprise peeps, which the few seconds of footage we saw about this seems to imply. You know, we go visit Riker in the woods and he and Troy have gotten married and had kids and they make pizza. That's more interesting to me than, like, let's get the band back together. Yeah, that's the thing is I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. If this ends up being a bit of, like, nostalgia clickbait of, like you said, comparable to what happened to Troy and Riker in season one of, yeah, they're going to show up for a hot second but not be a major part of the season. I may not be a fan of that because that feels misleading. But if they sort of for lack of a better term, sideline all of these new characters for season three in lieu of, well, we got to get everyone back together for one last ride with Picard. I don't know how I feel about that either. Cause like, I really enjoy the characters in Star Trek Picard. Some of the characterization choices confuse me, but like I have a lot of investment in these characters just due to the actors and their unique backstories and skill sets. It would feel kind of ooky to me to say like, hey, great job on two seasons of being in the Star Trek show and playing a great member of the main cast. If you could just sit in the corner for the final season while a bunch of these actors come in and like, you know, shake hands and hug with Patrick Stewart for 10 episodes, that would be great. Yeah, it's like it's like bringing your girlfriend to your class reunion and she sits in the corner and doesn't know anybody while you hang out with your old friends. 
Yeah, so it's it's tough. Like, I do not want this really, really exciting news to come at the expense of sidelining these other characters, which I really don't want to do. And I also don't think this means that we're going to get, like, a TPK of the entire new cast from Season 2 going into Season 3. Like, I believe Jerry Ryan actually posted a message on the day that shooting wrapped, being like, that's a wrap on Star Trek Picard, so happy to be a part of this. So I'm assuming at least she has a part of a process to play in season three. But like all that, you know, uh, low expectations aside, I'm so freaking excited, Jess. Oh <laughs> my God. To hear the voiceovers, to hear them all again, to hear the freaking TNG music. Like as much as I might decry the idea of nostalgia baiting and reboots and doing sequels for sequels sake, like, yeah, give me all three Spider-Man in one movie. Yes, bring back the Star Trek The Next Generation cast. I just want it. It's just part of my DNA. Yeah, inject that Fuller house directly into my veins. Yeah, I mean, listen, it might wear thin at certain points, but, like, they are they're they know their worth, right? They're in for 10 episodes. They're out for 10 episodes. I mean, do you have a sense as to what they might be doing? Do you think it's as simple as, as you mentioned, it's just, hey, let's get the gang back together? Is it almost like uh the end of the series proper where, like, Picard has one big thing to do and so he brings everyone out of retirement to work with him? I mean, it could be that. It could be the series finale of Enterprise. I think... What I hope is that we are adding people gradually. Like we we have good logical reasons for each of them to be there and not in that like cloying discovery way of this is the only person on earth who could possibly do it and they're conveniently here. But it's like we're going to catch up with each of these people individually as they have a role to play in a bigger arc that incorporates mainly the characters that we've come to know and love from this series. I am really intrigued to see whatever they, year they end up going back to, like what all these people are doing, right? We know about the 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 Riker, uh, Troy and Riker stuff. Worf, according to some novelization stuff, is apparently the captain of the Enterprise at this very moment. Enterprise, whatever you want to call it, G or H at this point. Jordy, we're not sure. I know that's something that you and I brought up during our coverage of Picard season one, right? Was like, hey, all this Jordy stuff is, uh, all this data stuff is happening. Why not talk to Jordy? Beverly Crusher, you and I spoke about this on our last podcast, <laughs> Jess. That's going to be a fun situation. <laughs> it's going to be super awkward. I'm here for it. Um, where's Wheaton? That's Why is there no the Wheaton? Yeah, that's the question is, well, Wesley is, you know, uh, he's hanging out with the Traveler. He's doing his things with those Native Americans on that one planet. Like, maybe they bring him back to do a cameo, but I feel like they're fine being like, yeah, that character is gone. I mean, I would love to see some cameos from, like, semi-recurring characters. Like, I would love to see Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren come back mm. uh i i think she'd be funny hell give me some denise crosby i don't know how the hell you do it but like whether it's tasha yar or uh sarah or like whatever her like romulan counterpart name was it, it does feel a little incomplete to not have like the whole whole gang back yeah miles o'brien i mean he wasn't as big a deal to picard as he became later but like put him in there I mean, obviously he's not running the transporter anymore he's been promoted but still I want the big bad for season three to be Reginald Barkley, who once again connected with like that organism that made him super smart. And now he's like the most evil maniacal genius in the galaxy and they all have to stop him. That would be fun. That would be, that would be an antagonist. Yeah. So 
again, I have no idea what to expect, but what's really exciting is, A, they have a distinct conclusion. Like, they've pretty much always said that it's going to be a three and out thing. So, like, we know this is going to have an ending with a capital E and that it is going to really invoke, like, the life and legacy of, of Jean-Luc Picard, which kind of makes me think they will actually, actually kill Picard off this time, but we shall see. Yeah, that was that was what my thought was. Because they were very clear to say he's not immortal just because he's an android. Right, it was like, oh, your body will still, yeah, it will still decay yeah. and look old just so don't have to put prosthetics on you. Yeah, and he certainly looks like, he looks older in the you know, very brief clips we see of him in the previews for season three. He looks like he is aging pretty rapidly. I guess the question is, who is Brent Spiner going to play in Star Trek Picard season three? Is it going to, is he going to be that, what was his name, Alton Soong, I think, the one who lived on the planet of androids? Oh, yeah. Or are they going to, like, put Adam Soong in the cast, like, just bring him home with them? That's possible, <laughs> I guess. Um, or that, are we going to get... That's butterflies all over the place. What are they doing? <laughs> Yeah, they don't care about butterflies. Um, CGI data. Probably CGI data. And it's going to be, like, unsettling. Now, talking about appearances of characters, here's the question. The images of Klingons have certainly changed since, uh, you know, modern Trek has come about. Is Michael Dorn going to look the same as Worf? I mean, I think it's easy to make older Worf believable. And prosthetics have gotten better over time and we've had like different iterations of Klingons but I think they will try to make him as close to the TNG DS9 Klingon as they can. So you don't think that they're going to go with the Discovery Klingon? No, no. He will be the Worf we all know and love but he'll be a little bit gray at the temples. Oh, I'm excited. I like old Worf. I'm excited to see old Worf. Yeah, this is, this is the best like I think the, to my to me and maybe this is just because I'm such a hardcore DS9 fan. Like, that's the best looking Klingon there is. Yeah, I agree as well. I think it is like, it's not the complete, you know, simplicity. You barely did anything, just rolled out of bed of, uh, of you know, TOS, which is pointed out in that episode that, uh, where they go back to it of like, those are Klingons. Uh, but it's not also not with the, outsiders. Yeah, but, it, but it's not like the full discovery, like, completely odd, you know, looking like a feral creature that uh, we get there. I think it does perfectly bridge the middle, much like the ridge on their foreheads. Jess, anything else you want to say about Star Trek Picard, what we've seen of season two, what we're going to see of season two, or anything about this exciting news from season three? I mean, I'm loving it, Mike. I It's such, it's so fan servicey in all the best ways. And you know, we talk about it over and over. The best thing about this series is the way in which it's telling a good story that you don't have to be so immersed in the Trek to love. But if you are immersed in the Trek, you don't feel like it's pandering to you in a way that is making you not like it, you know, or and you don't feel it's like explaining things to you over and over. It's such a fine line to tread and they do it so well. Mm hmm. I agree. I've just been having a lot of fun with this. And I take the Mike White approach to like a lot of this content. I just watch it and say, is this fun? And for what it's worth, I've been enjoying Star Trek Picard. Maybe it's the characters and I just really enjoy the actors and the ensemble overall. Maybe it's, it's the fact that it doesn't feel so 
saccharine and heavy-handed as the most recent season of Discovery, which was not as fun. Maybe it's the general newness of going back to 2024 when, you know, the the hardest uh, c- complaint I have about the season is that I feel like it is too, you know, on the nose with some of its themings and commentary. That's still damning with faint praise, in my opinion. I really do feel like I have no idea where they're going in any regard or Picard here. But I'm just excited to watch it every week. Between the characters, between the plot lines, between even just stupid things like seeing them interact with our day-to-day existence. It's been a lot of fun. And now knowing what we're dawning on in the horizon, like there's a non-zero chance we get some cameos in the finale as well. It just makes me really happy about Star Trek Picard as a show in general. And so I'm sad to see it go, but at the same time, I'd rather have something self-contained and really enjoyable rather than something that goes on for far too long and certainly peaked a while ago. Yeah, I think they're going out on a high note because they really, everything so far has been a high-ish note and they can't, you know, they can't fall, they can't fall so far off a cliff that we're going to hate it next season. So that being said, next time you'll hear from us, because again, you know, we are sort of like dipping in and out of our own timeline to post about these updates regarding Star Trek. So we're going to be doing a Star Trek Picard wrap up podcast. That is for sure. Uh, The finale is airing on May 5th. And so that is going to be happening. Might have a special guest for that. We shall see. Complications also ensue, though, in the fact that that is the same day that Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, debuts. The much sought after Captain Pike Spock number one spinoff series. Jess, uh, a recent teaser came out for that. Have you had the chance to watch it yet? That I have not seen. I've seen stills from it, though. Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I won't talk too, too much about it. But I guess overall, even without that, Jess, do you have any thoughts or expectations about strange new worlds before we start watching it in a month i mean that feels like one i'm gonna have to do homework for before i get into it because you know i have enough like kind of baseline knowledge and like just sort of i've uh, osmotically absorbed picard era stuff over the course of my life but the tos stuff I'm going to need to go back and do some TOS rewatching to make sure that I am in the right place chronologically to get all of the references in Strange New Worlds. I'm really excited for it from a structural perspective. They have been very adamant that Strange New Worlds, unlike Discovery and Picard, is going to take a page out of the era it invokes and do things really episodically. That's not to say that we're not going to get, like, overall character growth, but they're really going to stray away from, like, overarching mysteries that I think has been occurring throughout those other two series. And not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I'm happy for it just because I think we have seen the dangers that can come from that. Just like there are dangers of doing non-serialized storytelling as well, feeling like no forward progress is being made with characters. I feel like it's it's good to have them try this again and see if they can do that storytelling, maybe even in a new, better way in, you know, 2022. So I'm pumped about it. I'm really freaking pumped for Anson Mount. He was far and away the best part of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, in my opinion. Ethan Peck Spock, I think I still need to get a little used to just because he played a very different type of Spock in that season because of what he was undergoing. But overall, you know, the, you know, the characters they were showing, the new species, like I am really intrigued to see 
all the newness that comes with the old of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I think the fact that we've gotten to know these characters a bit makes it more tantalizing. Like, we know how awesome Pike can be. And we like, I I like Ethan Peck's Spock, so I'm going to be happy to see him again as well. Yeah, and we already know it's renewed for season two. Looks like we might be getting some Kirk action going on as well in season two. So there's a lot to look forward to. We're going to be covering that in some capacity as well. A bit TBD on that just because, you know, that's a big series and we we might cover it in a different way. Again, it also premieres on the same day as the Picard finale. So there's going to be thoughts about Star Trek happening next month. We just need to sort of get a handle as to what it is. Much like those had to get a handle of what life in the Confederation of Earth was when they ended up blipping into it. But we appreciate your patience and support as we're doing all of this. Of course, if you missed it, if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, Jess and I did a wrap-up podcast a couple of weeks ago about that. Gave our overall thoughts on Season 4 and where things may be going. So plenty of Star Trek to check out in addition to uh, the actual content on screen. There's stuff in your ears you can take in as well. In addition to Star Trek, Jessica Lee, I know you have a lot going on. What else is on your docket? Um, well, mainly we're still covering Walking Dead. We just wrapped up. At the time that you're listening to this podcast, you will likely have one more episode of regular Walking Dead coverage until we segue into Fear the Walking Dead. There is no break for any of that. Uh, Chappelle, AJ, Josh, and I are going to be talking about Fear the Walking Dead right after we finish talking about Walking Dead. And then as soon as Fear wraps up, we get the rest of regular Walking Dead. And it's the cycle just repeats over and over and over. Much like the zombies themselves, this show refuses to die and we will be there until the bitter end. Yeah, and you can't, do, do you shoot zombies in the head in the Walking Dead universe to kill them or do they just never end up stopping? You shoot them in the head or you slam their head in a door or you kick their head really hard or you stab them in the head. There's lots of head stuff. But if you just cut their head off, the head stays alive. All right, so uh, unfortunately the head has yet to be cut off of the franchise, and so it ambles on, and you four do a fantastic job covering it. Of course, Josh Wiggler and I are still on our lost BS uh, going through, uh, counting down the episodes that we ranked over the course of Down the Hatch. That's a lot of fun. We do those for a week. In addition, I do have something going on, uh, some new show coverage coming up starting next week. I will not reveal anything more uh but i hope we get some watchers and some listeners in to tune into that i can make an official announcement next week but uh stay tuned to your feeds monday i will say should be some very fun stuff coming out there yeah as as well as all the other things going on with post-show recaps of course severance has really like taken the internet by storm which is theorizing and josh and amanda and melissa are doing a great job with that i know the flight attendant we have just started coverage of that with jess sterling and sarah ferguson as well there was a really great conversation with our hbo show recaps with our flag means death uh with grace and zed and sarah talked with vico uh, vico ortiz uh they were uh, a big cast member as a part of a very surprisingly fun show in a very different way than expected. So check all that out in addition to all the other things that's happening. Bel Air, We Crash, The Dropout, Winning Time. We have so many things going on. We are the Borg Queen plugged into all the different TV shows right now. At least as many as we can do. 
and that includes Star Trek as well. And I know it's the beginning of the month still. If you'd like to become a patron at PostureRecaps.com slash patron, we greatly appreciate it, especially at the $10 level. Uh, you get access to all channels of our Discord, which includes some, some intermittent Star Trek talk here and there. It has been buzzing a bit more in the past 24 hours due to that Picard Season 3 news, and I do not imagine that dying down anytime soon. So if you have the means to do that, Become a patron, join us, get to talk with us a bit more, uh, and you can talk with us online as well at Haymaker Hattie is Jess, at A Mike Bloom Type is me, and of course at Post Show Recaps. That's going to do it for this coverage of Picard in our mid season wrap up for season two. Cannot wait to see what we're talking about five weeks from now when this season ends. We have no idea where we're going, but we don't need roads, to quote uh, the works of one of the directors of this season. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next time to cover the final five episodes of Star Trek Picard Season 2. Until then, live long and prosper. (laughs) 